What's going on, everyone? It's Wednesday, June 1st. I'm Zachary Crockett. I'm here with Juliet Bennett-Ryla, and you're listening to The Hustle Daily Show. Today, we're talking scooters. Everyone was really into them a couple years ago, and then they just kind of fell off the map. Well, they're making a comeback, and we're going to tell you why. We're also going to talk about some innovations that are going on in the tampon space and why a market that's been largely untouched for decades is starting to see a little bit of a shakeup. But before we get into all that, let's just take a quick look at the news. Juliet, what you got for us? All right. So today, the rideshare business has had a rough ride lately. Lyft and Uber shares have fallen 65% and 50% respectively in the past year. And a new report from Yipit Data paints an even more sobering picture. Average fares in the U.S. are up 35% from before the pandemic. Riders are taking 20% fewer trips. And both companies are struggling to fill the demand for drivers. New data shows home prices jumped 20% year-over-year in March, according to the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Home Price Index. That's the highest jump in the 35 years the index has been collecting data. Despite rising interest rates, homes are still in short supply, and buyers are still paying a premium to nab one. Dollar General is going big on self-checkout. The discount chain piloted self-checkout units as the only way to pay in 200 of its 18,000 stores and plans to have self-checkout units in 11,000 stores by the end of the year. And now some good news for Netflix, finally. It's fourth season of Stranger Things premiered this weekend, drawing in over 286 million hours of viewing time. Meanwhile, Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill, a true banger from 1985 that is featured in the season, saw an 8,700% increase in global streams on Spotify. For Netflix, Stranger Things season four is the streamer's best English language debut, a record previously held by Bridgerton at 193 million hours. But to seize the ultimate top spot at Netflix, it will have to beat Squid Game, which racked up 1.65 billion hours in its first 28 days. And lastly, Cambridge University engineers say they have made zero emissions concrete using a recycling loop. Now, this is kind of complicated, so I will try to break it down. <laughs> but essentially, to get concrete, you need cement. A key ingredient in cement is clinker, which you get by cooking calcium carbonate at a very high temperature, which creates CO2 emissions. But researchers found that used cement is very similar to the lime flux used in steel recycling. The waste from that process, when ground into a powder, is virtually identical to clinker. So essentially, this process works by recycling old structures to get the materials you need for new ones. Mm. All right, Zach, what is going on with scooters? All right, well, let's go back a few years and set the stage a little bit. So back in 2018, scooter sharing was all the rage. It was the hottest investment in VC. I feel like everyone was talking about it. We all saw the scooters all over the streets. Mm-hmm. Bird and Lime were like the hottest thing in urban transit since Uber and Lyft. They had millions and millions of active users. And then, uh, you know, 2020 came along, the mm-hmm. stain of a year. <laughs> scooters took a big nosedive in the early years of the pandemic. Active users dropped 70%. Bird laid off 30% of its staff. Lime laid off 13% of its staff. Both companies paused service in dozens of cities across the country, but now it's 2022 and scooters are making a little comeback here. Yeah. So usage started creeping back up in 2021, actually, which set the stage for a scooter resurgence this year. So as of April, Bird had 2.6 million active users, which is more than they had before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And Lime had 5 million active users, which is about 80% of its total three years prior. Hmm. You know, it's obviously a a very different world now than it was pre-pandemic. A few things have changed dramatically. First of all, fuel prices have 
gone up exponentially. Uh, Mm -hmm. More urban workers are considering alternative modes of transportation like scooters, those who have the means to do so. Lime says its number of trips in the first quarter rose 75% year over year. Then you have, you know, a number of climate initiatives over the past few years that have led Lime and Bird to highlight their status as a sustainable alternative to cars and buses and conventional transportation methods. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, you know, the the great resignation, which we've heard a lot about, a lot of workers taking on new work or leaving out the workforce altogether might actually be great for the scooter business. Lime CEO Wayne Ting said that when people change their transportation routines, usually it's because they move homes or change jobs. And both of those things are happening on a large scale right now. But Juliet, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, you're very into urban transit. And mm-hmm. well, first of all, are you a scooter user yourself? Like what are your general thoughts on scooters all over LA? I have never, I have never <laughs> used a scooter okay. in my life. <laughs> the thing about scooters for me is I, I think that they are a really great last mile solution. Yeah. The way in which they work the best, I think, is if you're in like a very touristy destination that's very friendly to public transit. And I think it works if you're in some sort of destination that's very pedestrian friendly to begin with. So mm-hmm. let's say like a beach city. I feel like they always have little scooter bike rentals and they For have sure. these pathways. There's not a lot of cars. People drive slowly. That's a really fun place to use a scooter. I think it can be very functional if, say, you work maybe a mile and a half, two miles from your nearest public transit stop or you Mm -hmm. have a trip that's just that short. It's really great because when you're done with a scooter, you don't have to find a place for parking and pay for it. You just put it somewhere, hopefully not in the middle of the sidewalk, and then you go (laughs) on with your day. For me personally, I just feel like the areas where I live, where I would want a last mile solution are just so busy and not pedestrian friendly. I'm not going to ride a scooter on a broken sidewalk and I'm definitely not going to ride it on like Wilshire Boulevard or someplace with a ton of traffic. So if I have a mile left to go, I typically just walk. Yeah. And I'm the same way with bikes. Like I don't ride a bike here, but I ride a bike in other cities. So I definitely think it's cool. It has its purpose. I see teenagers on them constantly. So, yeah, you know, that's fun. That's fun for them. Yeah. I mean, for me, like a big problem with scooters is that they just are dockless transportation of any kind, whether it's a scooter or a bike, whatever. I think it just places too much faith in humanity Mm -hmm. to act rationally. 100%. (laughs) Scooters end up like in the middle of roads. They end up in dumpsters. They end up in the water. Someone Um, threw one in front of the metro train. So that's the the subway train when I was on it. (laughs) The battery like exploded. So it was so loud that the person sitting at the station thought a bomb had gone off. Oh my gosh. But then they ended up having to call in the fire department. It was a whole mess. Yeah. I mean, you know, in theory, the, the freedom to dock your scooter is nice if, if people act responsibly and rationally, but I just don't think we're quite there yet as a society. Yeah. I know there have been some initiatives to charge people more if they don't dock their scooter appropriately. Um, I know there's also been some geofencing to try to keep people riding the scooters where they're supposed to. Hmm. It's just, will people use these things responsibly is kind of the challenge. Yeah. Well, in any case, the numbers are looking good for Lyman Bird. Lime, like you said, is already back up to about 80% of its pre-pandemic numbers. Mm-hmm. They have a little bit more climbing to do, but as we're seeing, you know, some of these other companies suffer. You you mentioned earlier Uber, Lyft, really struggling to find drivers, and they're really reliant on this big force of gig workers. So I guess the one nice thing about scooters is it's just you and the scooter. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I bet they're great on college campuses and in college mm. towns and in places where, you know, it's just, it's easy to walk. It's easy to ride a bike. It's easy to grab a scooter and there's not a lot of parking. I bet they're perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, shifting gears a bit, we got uh, one other thing to discuss here. And this was interesting to me. 70% of women in the U.S. use tampons. It's an enormous market. Average user goes through 11,000 of them in a lifetime. But the products that dominate the market have some serious flaws, right? Yeah. So even if you don't use them, you are probably aware that tampons can leak at inopportune times, which is often a problem. And according to these two founders, Greta Meyer and Amanda Calabrese, who founded the company Sequel, mm-hmm. it's kind of partly due to this design flaw. So most tampons have these vertical channels and that allows them to expand from the core to the outside as they fill with fluid. But the problem is that this can often result in the tampon filling unevenly. So it can leak before it's even full, mm. essentially. So this company sequel, like you talk to the founders, Mm -hmm. they're one company in the space. What's their deal? What's their backstory? So basically, they're both athletes. Greta Meyer was playing lacrosse at Stanford in an all white uniform. So obviously she did not want to deal with leaks as she's out on the field. Right, right. Uh, Amanda Calabrese was also at Stanford. They were both studying product engineering there. She was competing in life-saving, which I did not know you could compete in, but it's essentially like lifeguarding as a sport, um, which is really cool. But, you know, obviously you don't want to be dealing with leaks when you are uh, swimming and diving and all of those Mm -hmm. things either. So basically they kind of, you know, came up with this idea that they were going to create a better menstrual product. They weren't necessarily, oh, it's got to be a tampon. But they talked to a bunch of women and they did a lot of user research and they found that a lot of people just prefer them. And that would be the easiest consumer adoption was something people already know. So essentially what they've done is the grooves in their tampon, they aren't vertical, but they're spiral which lengthens the flow path. According to Meyer, the spiral slows the flow. So essentially Hmm. absorption is more even and it allows the tampon to basically be used to its fullest potential. One thing I wasn't really aware of is that tampons need FDA approval, right? Yeah, they are a medical device. Yeah, class two medical device. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that process can take a really long time. I mean, it can take months or even years in some cases to to slog through that process. Yeah. So that was one of probably many reasons why no one has tried to re-engineer a tampon before. We do have other companies Mm. that we see like Lola, these D2C brands, they make them from organic cotton or or I even saw one that was infused with CBD. Mm. But basically, yeah, it's, it's tricky because you need to really be focused on getting the FDA approval. You can't just put something to market without it. And that can take a long time. And I think we all are aware that when it comes to products that are used predominantly by women, people tend not to re-engineer them very often. Yeah, yeah. You know, Calories was telling me that when they were talking to women about their issues with menstrual products and leaks, a lot of women were like inclined to say it's my fault that this happens. Like I must not be using it correctly or there Mm. must be something wrong with my body or the way that I menstruate. And so they kind of weren't inclined to blame the product or want a better product because they were just like, oh, it's my problem. So that was interesting that like, I don't know, I guess you just like deal with something that you know is kind of a a pain and you just keep dealing with it because you don't think it should be better. Right. Like, you know, every time my iPhone malfunctions, I don't blame myself. I blame the technology. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. 
Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, you know, it wasn't really until 1990 even when tampon brands were forced to put absorbency measures on their boxes. It's just one of those industries that really is behind in the times a little bit. And it's been dominated by a few big corporations that maybe haven't really had an incentive to reconfigure their business to answer some of these questions. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, what does absorbency even mean sometimes? Because if you mm-hmm. get a box of tampons, it'll say like, oh, you should be able to use this for six to eight hours. And I think you are not actually allowed to say longer than eight hours because of toxic mm-hmm. shock syndrome and these other sure. things like that. That is the cap. And then I feel like growing up, I saw all these commercials where, you know, women were having a great time on the beach and partying. And then they would put the <laughs> tampon in like a, a cup of water and like, look how much it holds. But then like, yeah, at the end of the day, it's like, oh, half of this is dry. So it's clearly not absorbing as much as the box. Like, how do you even right. configure that? You know? Right. Yeah. It, it's interesting too. Like, I'm trying to think of like other innovations of products that require FDA approval, maybe like ED pills or something. Mm-hmm. But in some cases, the patent of the drug just expires and then you have this flow of companies that come in to, you know, quote, disrupt the industry, but they're using the same underlying drug that has already gone through FDA approval. They're just basically have a different marketing tactic. Right. Or they'll send it to you in the mail. Right. Or they'll send it to you in the mail. Exactly. <laughs> this case is cool, though, because it seems like they're, they're genuinely redesigning the product. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about where, you know, we did talk about other DTC brands, like you can get birth control now in the mail and it'll look at like the, the, the kind that I use comes with like a little piece of chocolate and it's, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> but they were like, you know, we don't really want to do that. We don't want to be a brand that like also sells condoms and lube and sexual yeah. health products. Like a lot of these DTC companies, we want to just allow people to have like a better menstrual experience and, mm-hmm. you know, change their habits. So now instead of being like, oh, I, I feel like I need to bring all this extra stuff because what if something happens? You're more confident knowing like, okay, I've got four hours with this product. And then as that takes off, they actually intend to kind of expand into other products, mm. but it'll always be kind of these issues that we don't really think about. And it's it's never going to be like this cutesy DTC, nothing, not that those are like bad companies, but like <laughs> that is not what they're going for. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to get a piece of chocolate with your tampons. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. If you liked what you heard, we've got a lot more tech and business coverage over at thehustle.co. Thanks for joining me today, Juliet. And our editor today is Robert Hartwig. Our executive producer is Darren Clark. Thanks for tuning into the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. And we'll catch you tomorrow. Tomorrow.